Yo, welcome back. Say less with Kaz. We are finally on iTunes, people. So thank you so much for subscribing, sending comments, reviews. This episode's really fun. Boss is a guy I've known for damn near seven years now. He was an MC that I met through Ebe and uh, the Dreamville guys, uh, Mahem with Cole. And back in the day, you know, we've done tons of interviews together with Stashed, Source Magazine, Hip Hop Wired. But we haven't caught up in a spell. Boss is a guy who has been on fire as of late, he's got two Grammy nominations this year, courtesy of the Revenge of the Dreamers album. His story is incredible, being from Paris, France, and being from Sudan as well, and moving to Queens, and, you know, how he got into music. He's one of the most interesting cats uh, in all of hip-hop. He's Grammy-nominated. He's got bars for fucking days. Uh, Shout-out to the Fiends. Shout-out to Dreamville. It's my guy, Boss. Emilio. Hit the fucking music. Boss, what's going on, brother? How you living? Man, I'm cooling, bro. It's quite the intro. I appreciate you. Of course, man. Of course. It's been it's been a long time, man. I remember uh, Stashed and Source and Hip Hop Wire. Yeah, your come up has been fun to watch too, bro. Oh man, that, that that means a lot coming from you, brother. I really do appreciate that, man. Thank you, bro. Thank you. First off, how you holding up out there, man? I know it's I know it's crazy, and we was talking about how we've all been like social distancing lately. So how you been handling that so far? You know, I kind of had this time blocked out to record anyway, so I was gonna be quarantining regardless. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a little different though when you don't even have you don't even have the option to maybe you know step out. But you know, I'm handling the you know I, I guess as well as anybody else. Man. I just been in the studio and playing video games. Ain't much else to do. So you was planning to to drop another project or or work on another project at this point anyway, right? So it was just kind of like a happy accident, I guess. Yeah, it, I mean, if, if there was any time for this to happen, I guess it's now. <laughs> nah, I mean that's that's terrible. But um, <laughs> I mean, I'm not I'm not laughing at it. I'm just laughing at the I'm laughing at the delivery. I'm not laughing at the, <laughs> the um, statement. Yeah, no, this is a convenient uh, pandemic. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I was going to be in the studio, but, um, you know, I also wanted to do some traveling and, you know, record and go link with some artists all over the place. So it's kind of a bit of a hold on that for sure. Boss, you're a very well-traveled dude as as is, and you just mentioned that you were getting ready to travel. And you were born in Paris, moved to Queens when you were like eight years old. So what was that like culture shock like being a Sudan kid, born in Paris, Moving to Queens, what, what was that like growing up in New York around that time? It was interesting, you know, it was like, I got here and the Yankees went on a tear, so I figured out I like baseball right then and there <laughs> a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, nah, it was cool though, man. I think I think when you grow up, a lot of people, at least, you know, through Hollywood and all the cultural impact of the states, um, you know, you look at it like this, this kind of wonderland, you know? So I remember being very excited as a kid when my pops told me we were moving to New York. And, um, you know, it's the greatest city in the world, man. I couldn't I couldn't have had it any other way. It was really a blessing. With that international background, how do you usually talk about how you're able to maintain or incorporate your roots into the artistic process? I know growing up in Queens and just being able to impress a lot of the local Queens uh, rappers or the way you got into rap is one way. 
but the more you've grown, you've kind of incorporated a little bit of your uh, your, your Sudan, Sudan roots and your Paris roots into your music. So how have you been able to do that? My ears been molded by my travels as well. You know, um, I listen to a lot of like French house and electronic artists from France and electro soul artists. And then I spent a lot of time in Sudan and on the African continent. Um meeting a lot. I was actually supposed to be in South Africa in April to record and, and link up with a few artists and producers that I'm a fan of out there. So I think, you know, I, I think the more you travel, the more you're able culturally to just relate to people, to talk to people, to find middle ground, which is which is crucial when you're trying to create music. It's kind of, or at least collaborate, you know, it's all about finding that middle ground with somebody um, so it doesn't feel forced and it feels cohesive and authentic um so i think that's that's something my travels have helped me do and just trying to you know be more cultured be more aware of where other people are from what other people are trying to do what other people are trying to say um and you know even my last album milky way i shot that cover um at the, the nubian pyramids in Sudan when I last time I went home and those are like 4,000 year old pyramids. And it was just a way for me to incorporate, you know, my story, my heritage, um, a little bit of my Sudanese story within the art. Now you you talk about it not being forced and not feeling like, you know, somebody's just trying to be worldly for the sake of it, but you have the background and now it almost seems like a lot of hip hop artists are trying to make that sort of music and uh, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Um, being as somebody who has those legitimate roots in your culture and the way you grew up, do you ever look at certain artists like kind of trying to force that sound on and be like, man, that shit is ass or is it just kind of like get it how you live? You know, whether or not you like the song is pretty subjective. If I just try to look at the positives, which is at the end of the day, you know, if, if, if you're reaching back to the African continent and you're working with, with, with or any international space, you know, you're working with those artists, you're, you're being a platform for them as well, you know, and you're helping, you're helping music, you're helping to bridge that divide. So, I mean, yeah, some of it I'm not a, a fan of personally. It's not to my liking, but I would never knock it or hate on it because I do think it's good. It's good for music and it's good for world culture. We go back to, you know, years, years ago to your first uh, project, uh, well, not first official project, but first project on their label uh, last winter. And, um, you know, working with Cole and my nigga just made bail and, you know, all the records that you put together there, man. Uh, just talk about a little bit how you've grown since that project, man, because it almost felt like an EP, kind of like a little teaser at first. But now, yeah. you know, we're at a point where you're Grammy-nominated, you're working with tons of artists, you're doing guest spots, you know? Like, how's the growth been like from last winter to now? Man, you know, it's, it's, a cons- it's like a consistent learning experience, for me at least. Um, I didn't really grow up, like, doing music or, or rapping or, like, wanting to be a rapper. It's just it's kind of something I stumbled into. So I still, um, even now, like, I still feel like I'm learning something or I'm, I'm you know... I don't know if I've completed my 10,000 hours, but I, I definitely had it by last winter, you know what I mean? So it's it's a lot of things I've learned just about music, about sound, and I'm learning them, you know, through the people I work with, whether it's Cole, um, you know, teaching me production elements and, and you know, certain songwriting tips he'll give me, or whether it's 
sitting in a mix session with Mixed by Ali and, and hearing him manipulate frequencies and then, you know, kind of putting that into my mental bank on how I want to manipulate records or, you know, sitting there with Ron Gilmore and, and he's just an incredible um, producer slash keyboard player and he can just it really explain music to me like, like few people can. Um, it, you know, it's, a, it's an ongoing process. Everyone I work with, everyone I collaborate with, um, seeing their process, you know, even if you talk about um, Revenge of the Dreamers, those those like 14 days in Atlanta or however long we were there recording the album, working with 60 plus um, artists and producers and just seeing all their process. Like, you know, I like to learn from everything, from every from every session. I like to pick up something. So I think if, if I could say that, I think last winter was just, it was, it was very raw. It was, you know, it was, it was that's kind of the beauty in it. Like it, it was, it was so raw and green. And I think since then it's just been about just honing in on my craft and, and continuing to improve on it. Now you, you mentioned it earlier. You said you didn't really start rapping until like around 2010. It wasn't something that you grew up wanting to do. So what made you want to do it? What was, what pushed you to that life? I was having a really lit summer with my homies. <laughs> and I was at the time I was DJing like I was DJing my actually my homie from high school was my manager Derek. He um he was managing the NYU basketball team, and I was DJing, and I was um I was DJing a lot of their after parties, and then we'd end up at this crib down in the West Village, um on Bleecker Street and like Seventh Ave. We used to call it the Carter. We was, you know, big Wayne fan slash New Jack City. It was, it was just like this crazy apartment where we were all um, kind of growing, like, you know, experiencing life as, as, like, super young adults in the city and, and experimenting with drugs and getting high and going out to parties and bringing the after party back to the roof at, like, 8 in the morning. And it was that kind of environment. And then we would just cut on, like, GarageBand on somebody's laptop and do like a 12 minute freestyle where like there's no cuts there's no takes there's no pausing it's just like the, the tape is rolling and somebody will go on and, and rap and then like you might hear you might hear somebody rolling a blunt for like 45 seconds before you even hear another rap come on <laughs> <laughs> it was just it was just like that you know and then we would wake up and and, and play the music back the next day and and kind of just for kicks you know what i mean but then um the homies, that was really where the fiend started, like all, all, all of those homies. And then, you know, they would just, we would wake up and, and homies would be like, damn, like, this is funny, but you're actually like, you're kind of decent, bro. Like, you're not bad. So they kind of, they really started putting a battery in my back. So from then, I was just kind of on go mode. I grew addicted to it, bro. There was nothing like it. Just just having that form of self-expression. Um, I didn't grow up, you know, painting. I didn't grow up writing. I didn't grow up doing none of those things but when i found it it just clicked all right so if you didn't grow up painting or writing or rapping or any of that stuff doing what what did you grow up wanting to do what was the first uh what was the first plan when it comes to teenage boss becoming adult boss i wanted to open a sneaker boutique ah okay well like a like Remember a flight like club type of joint in new york now yeah like dave's quality meets well not even like a resale joint like i wanted to have them accounts you know but the game changed. Like you know, we used to we used to get on the train when I was young, and 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 like go down to Soho and just look look for all the kicks and bounce around, you know, from from like spot to spot. But like now they're they're pretty much all closed. 
So, you know, I guess it's good I didn't get into that business. I don't know if I'd still be in it. That's some queen shit. If you wasn't trying to hoop or rap or something, I feel like sneakers was like a little bit down the list, almost there. Right. And he <laughs> so, um, I mean, tell me about the first time you and Cole met. What was that interaction like? Oh man, I think it was. Um, I think we was hooping at, at Edison Park in Queens. I think that might be the first time because he he was going to school with Eve at St. John's. And me and E pretty much kind of share a network, you know. That's, that's that's my brother, so like all my homies were his homies, and and vice versa, you know. Still to this day, so um, you know we used to hoop at Edison. Then I think Cole Cole used to run like their Pan African like group at at, uh, at St. John's. He was like the president of it. It was called Haraya, I believe, and um, and I used to go to it. it. You know, it'd be like all types of different like celebrations of pan-africanism and i only been like a, a few times because they had some shorties in there i ain't gonna lie <laughs> but, um you know it'd be a lot of like west indian vibes and african vibes and like some real like cultural queen shit and, and at you know it's at st john so we got we got tight like just hanging out through eve more or less and then you know um oh i used to throw hella house parties too Used to throw mad house parties, so mm. pull up to a lot of those. So we just, you know, just started kicking it. And then one day, Eve was just like, "Yo, like, yo, Jermaine rap. He played me. He played me some music. It's hard." And I was just like, we "Like light skin Jermaine? Didn't <laughs> tell nobody. Like, ain't nobody knew Cole rap. Like while he was in school, at least I didn't know." You mentioned it before about the growth in your music, going from uh, last winter that felt really raw to Revenge of the Dreamers when you're in the studio with 60 people, producers and artists today. I mean, watching that unfold on social media was just one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. So I would love to know just the genesis of that and how you kind of factored in to, uh, you know, that entire creative bubble that was created down in Atlanta. My process is more open than most in general. Um, I have a really open process, so it just makes it easier to work with people and find, like, a comfort space, you know. So I think that was that was my main role out there. Like, I, I found, like, they would assign they would assign all the artists, like, rooms every day. And, I, and like, I found I kept, I kept getting assigned the A room, which is, like, the biggest room because they knew, like, I would be able to pretty much quarterback a session because um, you really have to be able to quarterback a session. Like, that's... That's kind of like a, how a song like Costa Rica came about. Like that was one of my sessions where um, uh, Pyrex Reese Reese had Pyrex play the beat, and you know we was all we was all rocking with it. But obviously there's like eight people on the song, <laughs> so I was just like you know everybody give me eight bars or you know Guap Dad give us a hook and then everybody else just do eight bars and and then you know then it just sounds like three verses and and three hooks, which is a pretty, pretty standard record. Like, as opposed to, you know, eight dudes trying to get a 16 off, like it's, it's just not going to work. So I think a lot, that was a lot of the fun of it was just kind of quarterbacking these sessions. And then also just building an environment. Cause obviously a lot of people don't work that way. A lot of people just work solo in the studio or, you know, in a, in a crib. Um, and you got to make people comfortable. You got to make them feel invited. You got to make them feel like, they can share whatever ideas in their head without feeling whack or corny or even if it don't hit, you know what I mean? So I was trying to just be conscious of that, trying to make sure 
you know, everybody everybody could have an input. Everybody felt encouraged to 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 have an input. The YouTube documentary came out, and you know, as gr- as much as there was a lot of collaborative energy in the air there had to be some sort of competition you know what i mean especially you being the a room where a lot of the you know stuff that ends up making the album probably was being made at and in addition to that you know just the the nature of hip-hop when you get a bunch of rappers in the building and you get a bunch of producers in the building and you get a bunch of anybody in one room it gets competitive was there any competitive like is there any stories that kind of lead to that theory that you witnessed during the making of the album you could walk into a room and it's and it's something hard playing and it's like eight people trying to get on it and eight people with a verse. So I mean, a lot of verses got cut from from the final album that you heard because, for the sake of obviously making a good song, making a record that's not you know eight minutes long, you can't just have everyone who contributed on it. So a lot of a lot of verses were cut. And now that therein, you know, was a competition. Like you knew that everyone was aware of that. Like not every verse is making this song, so I gotta, I gotta bar this shit up. I gotta flame this track. So what, you know, whoever come after me, that's on your head. Your Grammy nominated uh, song was it? It was Costa Rica that Grammy nominated, right? Uh, down bad. Down bad. I'm bugging. My fault. Yep. Down bad. Uh, it was one of the first singles on the project. One of the first singles that we heard. Uh, that came from that session. Take me back into the making of that song. I know you've mentioned about yeah. how, you know, certain people got in and they had to throw in a couple bars, but I don't think this song kind of lends to that theory because everybody just kind of came with more than four bars to it. So what was the making yeah. of Down Bad like? I literally landed that day from South Africa. That was the first first song I heard when I got to the sessions. Like, first, literally, like, fresh off the flight, um... I got in and Jid Jid was just finishing up and I was like, bro, I'm I'm on next. Like save me a verse on that. And he was like, I got you. Um so you know, shout out to J I D. I mean he gonna make you rap anytime you get on a song with Jid. Thanks. <laughs> you thanks. Better, you better you better come with your bars. Um so, you know, that was the, I, I gotta I gotta big up the homie for that one. He made he really you know, that was kinda his brain that was his brainchild for Did sure. Did he, he he was the one who quarterbacked that one, kinda like you quarterback Costa Rica? For sure. Yeah, okay. for sure. That was that, that was all Jid. And then, you know, we was all in the studio it's going crazy to it. I think I think I remember Barry who's his manager was like, Man, we might keep this for you <laughs> <laughs> So we all knew we all knew that was a joint. Um and then and then Cole walked in and was like, Yo, save me a verse, save me a verse so I think everybody that walked in, that one was just one of those ones where you had to hear it before everyone else did. So for folks that don't know, creating music and performing it are, are two completely different skill sets. So can you talk a little bit about how you learned to be good at both? You know, not just the creation of the song, not just the performing of the song, but, you know, being able to take it on the road and, you know, make those songs be able to speak to huge crowds. In the song creation process, you're always aware of that. That's something I learned early. The first two tours I did with Cole, I wasn't even performing. He just had me out there, um, a, a to work, work on music and like just expand my songwriting and my craft. And like with Ron Gilmore, who at the time was his, his musical director and keyboard player, and and Sed Brown, who is his stage manager, but they're also do the bulk of my production. So we all kind of built our chemistry on the road but then also you know like i did i did cole's first tour and then i went out with him to do um club paradise 
the club pad I saw when he was supporting Drake. And, you know, that tour had Drake, it had Cole, it had what, Meek, it had Waka, it had um, French Montana, uh, Two Chains. Yeah, so, um, you know, just every night watching these people perform or, or even the, the tour prior watching Cole perform because he's really good at it. You could see and spot moments, you know, within songs that are for a show, that are for a crowd. And, you know, you have to become conscious of that when you're writing music, when you're creating music. Like, I know those moments when I'm in the studio, I know the moments that are going to work live, you know, and I, I sit there and I can, like, envision those moments as I'm in the studio. And I might not be performing that song for another year, but I already know, like, okay, like, this moment is going to go crazy at a show because it's like, you know, it's call and response or this record just has that energy that's going to be crazy live. Um, and you have to be conscious of that when you're actually making the music or else you won't have those moments when you take it on road. So I definitely learned that just watching a lot of, a lot of dope performers do what they do. Now, you mentioned it earlier about, you know, you and Eve having the same network and, you know, just working with the same folks. But a lot of people don't mention about uh, Amin as well. Amin Al-Hassan, who's on ESPN The Jump and, you know, uh, has been a very influential uh, NBA executive with the Phoenix Suns. Talk about your relationship with him, because I know every time he gets a chance, he always rocks some Fiends gear on TV or or reps for the gang. So tell me about uh, y'all's relationship. Our parents have been cool since, like, back in the day. You know, I think, like, college days. I've known Amin my whole life. Like, I don't, you know, like, we're not blood, but we call each other cousins. You know, that, that type of that type of energy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very African. We all do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, man, you know, it's, it's ill because Amin, Amin was, like, it's <laughs> it's funny, like, that we kind of live um, this life now because he was, he was, like, my introduction. I'll never forget being, like, 20, 20 years old. And um, he was working for the Suns at the time, and they had they had um, All Star Weekend in Phoenix. So um, he invited me out to that, and I was just going everywhere with him, and 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 that was like my first my first taste of All Star Weekend, like just as like a complete nobody, um, just being blown away, like being in the club with like Brian Urlacher and shit, like you know, <laughs> that, that geeked me out for sure. Um, that's you know that's that's always been like a big bro to me. I mean, shoot, sure, talk like, talk to me about that All Star Weekend, man. Like, what else? What was I know how All Star Weekend could be like. So, do you have any uh, um, memorable moments from had, that? I remember going to the bar. We went to some party, and I had to be like the only non-professional athlete there. <laughs> like, like Yao Ming was there with his wife, and she was like eight feet tall. So. <laughs> um, I ran into David Wells at the bar. I'm a Yankee fan. I'm like, man, like, yo, that perfect game is like one of my one of my best memories ever. And he's like, shit, me too. <laughs> it was just a lot of a lot of a lot of like just random random comments and conversations with people like that I shouldn't have been around. But I just I didn't even know you know I ain't know no better. I was just like, oh shit, I just oh Dirk. I was talking to Dirk Nowitzki about how I smack niggas in two K with him. <laughs> I was just, I was that guy like I was just I was just walking around I see somebody and I just tell them something like hella honest and they were just you know everybody had good energy I ain't gonna lie nobody was on some some stunt hell yeah hell yeah I mean, that, that was one of those first weekends that that I was like wow like what is you know what is this life about 
All right, so now that you're on the other side of it, where you kind of have that notoriety and artists know who you are and hear your songs everywhere, do athletes or artists come up to you and be like, yo, like, I fucking, you know, got crazy to yeah. down bad or something? Like, what's that been like? It's been dope, man, because, you know, there's, there's a mutual respect. Like, I can't do what they do. <laughs> so I'll be I'll be appreciative, you know, of, of that. Like, I, I rock with a bunch of dudes. Um, like who? And, Man, uh, TJ Warren, Malcolm Brogdon, those those guys I talk to like you know more more regularly. I would say um, a lot of the the Bucks that came because the Bucks all came to um, to the Dreamer sessions. They came and they catered us like a whole a whole dinner um, in the studio. So I got I got cool with a lot of those dudes, man. Uh, I think Don Mega was on there at the time. Um, I still keep in touch with him. Like a few homies, KD, KD always been showing love. KD came to Dollar in a Dream, uh, like, like maybe the second Dollar in a Dream, which is like the show Cole used to do. So KD came to like the second one, like back in the day, and we just, you know, just been, you know, showing love since it's been like a mutual thing. So it's cool, man. Like it's, it's, um, it's interesting, bro. Like it's, it's hella interesting to just have these you know, form those relationships over music and or like the love of basketball, you know what I mean? Um, or the love of football or whatever the case may be. It's like yeah, a mutual man, admiration society at this point, right? Like now you're right, not but I'm like, yo, I can't I can't dunk. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot like that to me that's just more impressive. Like you just running you just running down the court, you seven feet, you dunking on niggas like I'm just putting words together. Hey man, they, they, they but they can't do it though. They'll probably look at you. They think they could do it. Like you yeah, probably exactly. think you can do it. I, I, I can tell it's like it's mutual in that regard. So it's it's hella interesting to me. Hell yeah. So um you, you and Ari Lennox did a record called Self Love on the album and uh you know right now Shout out to Baby Rose, Baby Rose is on there too. And Baby Rose, shit, my bad. And yeah. uh All good. you know, right now, you know, with so many people in isolation, how do you think in your um, in your opinion, how can more people be mindful of self-love or have you been practicing this during your quarantine right now? Because it feels like that's all you really got at this moment. Yeah, man, I think just, you know, don't be too hard on yourself out there. Like, ain't, ain't shit moving for nobody, you know? <laughs> it's, it's some, some days I wake up, I'm like, damn, I feel like a bum. Like, I ain't do nothing today, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you got you to gotta fight that feeling. I was actually having that convo with the homie. This is like, it's almost like a blessing. We got to learn to appreciate, you know, or at least grab the silver lining out of this, which is like when, you know, how often does the whole global economy stop and just give everyone a break, you know what I mean? And say like, all right, I'm not going to, I'm not going to ride your back for the next however much time we need, you know, like people really like enjoy the time. I'll be thinking about a lot of my friends that, uh, I've seen a lot of my friends go from job to job, like either get laid off or get fired. And and then, you know, they have like a month off where, you know, they're like collecting unemployment and looking for a gig and then they end up getting in a new gig, you know, eventually. And and then you think back that period they had in between jobs, they're always like, hell, you know, they were stressed out the whole time. And then the second they start working, they're like, damn, like, you know, I missed I miss all the free time, or at least I should have. I shouldn't have been so stressed. I should have enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, it's been. You know? It's been. Uh, I'll tell you this, just personally, like I, I'm. I'm a guy who just 
you know, works a lot just because I love to do it just because it never feels like work. It feels like, you know, this is shit I would do for free. But, uh, you know, it almost feels like the world kind of forced us to stand still finally. And now you're starting to appreciate the beauty of, of stillness, of just being able to appreciate what you have and, you know, being home and just reminding you of the stuff that's really important, like your family and your friends and checking on their health and, you know, all that type of stuff. Have you felt sort of the same thing? Yeah, absolutely, man. Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm learning to just appreciate appreciate the stillness you know just not not moving around all our gigs obviously are are canceled because uh you know just those are all large gatherings so that all that was that's out the window but at the end of the day you know we we have all this time to just be with family like i'm looking into moving my parents some like putting time into that or or you know seeing my nephew more who you know literally lives pretty much up the street from me but you know, I, don't, I still don't didn't get to see him as much as I would like to. But now it's like, you know, you just have all the time in the world and you realize, you know, that you're actually probably, you know, in some cases being more productive might not be in your work life, but at least in, in your personal life. Yeah, absolutely, man. And that's uh, that's something that a lot of people could take home with them, bro. Um, so you, a lot of people at home are just watching Instagram or watching Instagram lives. I got to ask you, do you watch Ari Lennox's Instagram lives? All the time. She's the best. She's the best <laughs> thing on there. <laughs> What's she's the, do you have any, Yeah, like she's one of the funniest, like, if you listen to her music, great. Like, you can catch the humor there. But I had no idea she was this, like, witty and funny, like... She's almost like, I mean, I know Issa Rae's a real person, but, like, she's very much the awkward black girl, <laughs> like, of, of R&B. Yeah, no, nah, I mean, it's dope because, you know, if you know her, you get to spend some time around her. That's, you, you realize it's not an act, you know? It's like, <laughs> that's, that's really how she is. So I tune in. I tune in whenever, you know, I need a little entertainment. And she be blowing on it. She really be singing. <laughs> she be singing about some random, like, cleaning her house or, like, any random thing and it sound good. She's a beast. She's an absolute beast, man. Uh, this past year, uh, just, just a few more questions, then we wrap this up. In the past year, man, you uh, you had one of the greatest, greatest uh, you know accomplishments of your life with this Grammy nomination for Down Bad, and you know you got to get you know dressed up and do the whole Grammy swag and you know that whole thing. So tell me about the day that you found out that you were nominated for a Grammy. Um, man, I had heard, so, so it was Down Bad and it was, um, Dreamers got nominated for Best Rap Album. Yes. And I know, I know like a few people on, on the Grammy committee and, and, and someone mentioned to me that like it came up and it was like really being discussed and, and like potentially going to happen. But I just, you know, I didn't want to get my hopes up or nothing. Um. But I was kind of surprised that was even the case. Honestly, I don't, you know, I'm kind of disconnected from all that. But when it happened, man, it was it was it was early as hell. I remember calling Eve; he was pretty hype. And then I remember calling Cole, and he ain't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, honestly, that was that was gonna be my next question because it's like. You know, it's at one at one point it's like, yeah, okay, like I get it, it's nice to be nominated at all, but like especially in the past couple of years, you know, especially the hip hop community, less and less, you know, attention has been given to the Grammy just for 
their lack of being able to get it right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, like, what was what was kind of your thoughts about it, especially, you know, this year? I thought, I thought that was kind of an attempt because you're right. They kind of missed – they kind of dropped the ball on a whole generation, like with, with Drake and Cole. Like, they, they really kind of never gave those two dudes their, their just due when it was time to give it to them. Mm. Um, and I think that turned a, a lot of, like, our kind of, like, Twitter, IG – millennial generation off of it because it was like man it's not really you know speaking to us but then i you know i noticed this year with, with corday being nominated uh with, with our nominations with it seemed like they're they're trying to make an effort to be more in tune and in touch with like you know the, the stuff that's really making noise at a, you know in the current climate um but yeah i mean at the end of the day man like you know it ain't no type of, of of validation. I think it's just um, to me, man. I keep it a buck. Like the the price goes up. They gotta they gotta refer to you as the Grammy nominated boss from now yeah, on. So I get two it. Time, two time Grammy nominated. <laughs> you know, I, I tell you, nah, it's cool, man. It made a lot of, a lot of people proud. You know, especially especially in Sudan. Um, you know, my I, I hit I hit the red carpet and my mom wore a, a tobe, which is like a traditional Sudanese garment. It's like a full body kind of. I guess a full body scarf is the best way I could describe it to you. If you didn't, if you don't know, but uh, <laughs> that that video kind of went viral. You know, because it, it's 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 um, it's something really traditional you would just worn in Sudan, and um, you know, people were really excited to see our, our culture represented. My uncle, my uncle called me and was like, you know, since since Christopher Columbus discovered America, there's never been a Sudanese on the red carpet. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was just, it was like little moments like that where I, you know it was it was humbling and and gratifying in that extent. I took my parents and my sister, and you know that whole experience was just was was fun to them, just being here for Grammy weekend and going to the Grammys and and um, you know sitting next to all these people. Like I sat literally right behind Bob Kraft. And we just chopping it up the whole time. He's he's actually a cool dude. As a lifelong Jets fan, you know my pain. Facts, exact um, same. I'm I'm right there with you, the bum yeah, ass I, Jets. I, I for real, you know what I mean? Like I I ain't think too highly of bro till I met him. I was like, man, this guy's a cool ass dude. You know, it's, it's funny that you started that we started an interview with you at All Star Weekend talking to David Wells in parties and All Star, and now you at the Grammy sitting behind Bob Kraft doing the same thing. Like, oh, this guy's actually not so bad. <laughs> Yeah, I told him, I'm like, man, when, I'm like, uh, I was like, man, when are you going to let us win the division again? And he was like, never. I was like, all right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> it was cool, though. And then I was, I was with Jid. I was with Jid and Irv Gang. So, obviously, he was he was popping big. They Falcons fans, so he popping big shit about that. The 28-3 um, Super Bowl when they made that run on him. Yo, so. He was just killing all of us, but he, he had a, he had a great sense of humor. So, so I remember interviewing Jid, and I think he got he got a Falcons tattoo after the L, right? Am I am I bugging on that? I'm pretty sure that he he got like some uh, Falcons tattoo after the Patriots Super Bowl loss. I don't even know, but we all we all watched that together. I remember that because it was um, Interscope used to have a studio um, called No Excuses, like right 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 by their offices, and we all watched it in there, and. Uh, Man, 
I was neutral, but not really neutral because I, I generally tend to root against the Patriots. Same. <laughs> Fuck um, the Patriots. <laughs> Still. <laughs> but, Dan, that was hard to see because all my Atlanta, all my Atlanta niggas was in there, and it was just, boy, I know if that happened to me, I don't know. Oh, no, I'd be know. sick. I'd be sick to this day. So, I mean, as a, as a fellow Patriot hater, what do you think of Tom Brady finally leaving the division and going to Tampa Bay? Man, I wish we could have beat him before he did. <laughs> That's the only thing. Like, you can't leave. Like, you got to. Nah, I've been trying to beat you my whole life. <laughs> oh, man. Do you think they're going to. Uh, I mean, you know, the, the Super Bowl's at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa Bay. Uh, do you think. Oh, is it? Yeah. So, do you think he's going to take some of that success over there, or do you think he needed that, that Belichick and Patriot way to, to, to be successful? No, I think I think he's still gonna smash. I mean, I think that's probably his best wide receivers that he's ever had as far as a, as a group. I don't know much about their O line though. They're gonna have to keep they're gonna have to keep him up standing 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 tall. But um, yeah, man, I wouldn't I wouldn't bet against Brady. Plus, that division is you know it ain't too competitive. They got to worry about Drew Brees. That's about it. Mm-hmm. And they just uh, they just cut Cam Newton, so he's a free agent. So I saw that. Wow, yo. I got a feeling Cam going to the Patriots. Yo, I was literally <laughs> saying like, yo, well, if you if you want to watch the world burn, like I guarantee you, Cam, oh, Cam going to be fully healthy, go to the Patriots and smash the Jets for another 10, 20 years. Watch. God, I'd be sick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, uh, Boz, last question before I get you out of here, man. What's something that is very misunderstood about you that you think? Man, everybody at me be like, I didn't know you were so tall. <laughs> it bothers me. I think because I got a big-ass head, it be throwing my proportions up. <laughs> like, you look so much taller in person. I'm like, what you mean? Like... I'm been up in this height. I don't know. It's, it's the stockiness. I think it's because I think it's because he's stocky, like you big. So I don't know why. <laughs> That's funny, yeah, man. We we got to clarify that right now for the people, man. I'm 6'2". Stop oh playing. god, put some respect on your height, bro. I appreciate that, man. You know what I mean, that's oh. why I love that Drake bar. It's all in person. You see when we meet. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> I feel like- we needed that one. No, absolutely. Absolutely, man. Um, yeah, so last question, man. What can we expect from you from 2020? I mean, I know you're working on an album right now, but uh, what, you know. Yeah, man, I have, uh, I'm, I'm working on my albums. Also super excited. Are you, uh, are you familiar with the Hicks? They want Too High to Riot? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so me and them did a whole album. Um, oh, and wow. it's going to come out before, probably before my album. I was actually supposed to be in the south of France shooting some videos for it right about now. We got a great vision for it, but obviously all of that's on hold. Mm. But yeah, super excited for that. Um and then and then my album. But I mean in these times like you know what I mean? I feel like I don't want to talk about my music. No, I hear I feel you like bro. A crazy time to talk about music like Let's, let's just get to twenty. Let's get, let's just get about this whole. Let's, you know. Let's but you know what? You know what? I was thinking that for a while. But I mean, of all times, like 
now is the time. I mean, that's that's the reason why I'm doing this podcast. It's like, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of this stuff really isn't that important. But, you know, to other people, man, every time you turn on the TV, every time you put on Twitter or the news, like you're hearing something crazy. That's true. And, you know, some people just need that, man. So, I mean, don't ever feel like, you know, any of this isn't important, man, because you, you provide a very specific service to a lot of people. And, you know, when people just... You know, I, I remember the first time I heard last winter and, and lit and my nigga just made bail. And, you know, like these were times that was very needed in my life. And, you know, you never know what you're doing is going to, you know, really impact somebody in their life. So I wouldn't get to. That's a fact. People share those type of messages with me all the time. I didn't think about that. You, you got a good point there. Yep. I guess, you know, we don't. It's like we, we, we do something that's so like self-serving and you're always like promoting yourself and it, you know, it, it gets, it gets weird in times like these, like, I don't know, but I guess you're right. You know, I just, I'm probably overthinking it. Hey man, boss, listen, I understand where you're coming from. You're a good man with a good heart, but, uh, you know, we're definitely in these times we need creatives more than ever. So stay, right, stay man. motivated, stay, stay on top of it, bro. I appreciate talking with you, man. It's always good catching up with you. Let's not make it another couple of years before we do this again, man. For real, I'm, I'm, I'm out there. You still in New York? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I got, I got a little crib in Jersey now, but I, I'm going to pull up to L.A. Okay. soon. I'm growing up. I'm growing up now. <laughs> yeah, that's a bet, bro. Appreciate you, man. Anytime, bro. Take it easy. All right, one. And that's a wrap on the show. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Kazim. That's K-A-Z-E-E-M. And you can follow the page on Twitter, Say Less with Kaz. That's S-A-Y-L-E-S-S-W-I-T-H-K-A-Z. Thank you so much. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, SoundCloud, all those places. Appreciate y'all listening. Leave a nice review, maybe a comment if it's nice enough. And I'll catch you next week or next day. Or however long we're doing this shit. But say less. <laughs>